and Liebel just went after Chad Urban, rocked him with a right hand. Now they get together, and Liebel continues to rack up the majors here. Now Liebel with the right hand puts her down. He's going to dump him hard to the ice. Brady Liebel just loves to fight. Ladies and gentlemen. I played major junior and professional hockey. Throughout my teenage years on the outside, everything looked perfect. When you're hot, you're hot. Brady Leobold with his fourth goal of the game. And the Kelowna Rockets having a whole lot of fun tonight. Nobody knew I had been sexually abused at the age of five. I did everything to hide it from everybody. I submerged myself into hockey that worked for a while until it didn't. Oxycontin led me to heroin. Heroin led me to fentanyl and everything else. Homeless on the streets of Hastings in Vancouver. Over three years of my life I've spent behind bars. But now I'm clean fighting to get my life back. Everything I do is for the memory of Matthew Wazinski and all of our fallen brothers and sisters in the hockey community. Matthew Wazinski, Mitch Fratton, this one's for you. I lost everything and almost my life. My name's Brady Leibold and I've been to hell and back. This is the road to recovery. All right, guys, welcome to episode number 12, Hockey to Hell and Back, The Road to Recovery. You know, this is Brady Liebold coming at you guys live from Matt Thompson's basement in Morrisburg, Ontario. That's right, guys. Uh, this is the temporary Matthew Lazinski Memorial Studio home of the Puck Support Network. That's what we're calling it now uh, because it's a network of organizations. We have the foundation. Uh, we're going to have the swag line. We're working on a podcast network. We got a lot of things. We got Puck Support USA coming. A lot of things are taking off. Big thanks again to Dave and Brandon Gilmore who really, really helped spark this thing. Thank you guys. Um, before we get into the episode, though, I want to show you guys a couple things. Uh, you can see this. It's a little big on me, this one. Uh, just a puck support long sleeve I made last week. But uh, you can see the puck support snap I got on. I'm going to put it on backwards. I don't really like wearing my hats forwards, but I want to show you guys the logo. Uh, we got this one. This is a special edition. Let me show you the white one first. I don't even like touching it because it's white. This is the Matthew Lazinski. Okay. Memorial snapback, every single white one is going to have in memory of Matthew Lazinski in it. Okay, any of these maroon ones. This is the Mitch Fadden maroon. Any of the maroon ones. We got the Mitch Fadden in memory of Mitch Fadden, guys. Mine, the one that I'm wearing, the special one in memory of the man himself, Bob Probert. So that's exciting, guys. Every piece, every piece of uh, 
puck support swag that's going out the doors. Uh, it's going to have uh, in memory of one of our fallen brothers and sisters that we've lost in the hockey community, uh, directly related to mental health or addiction. And uh, it's the numbers are constantly, you know, going up. I, I have a list uh, of men and women and even young men uh, on there that that have lost their battles uh, with mental health and addiction. And it's it, it just makes me want to keep going. Um, I try to stay positive through it and I try to connect with uh, the families as much as possible and try to honor um, a lot of these guys that, you know, lost their their lives to things like addiction you know i i could just imagine if i would have died on you know if i would have overdosed uh in you know the really bad times in my life like if you know after i destroyed my family name and and ruined every friendship and and relationship i'd ever come across in my life and if i had just overdosed and died um people would have remembered me for just that right and uh it, this isn't about me. Uh, I could care less really about, you know, how people remember me. But what this does is this allows maybe guys that were going down similar paths that were maybe forgotten about in a sense. Uh, maybe they were sort of getting pulled by that devil. I know how it is. They started to make some decisions that weren't, you know, themselves. And, you know, now we have an opportunity to remember these guys Um for the way that they should be remembered. You know, if you could see how I've pulled myself out of hell, you know, and you could see any of these good characteristics in me, well, I guarantee you every single guy that, that we've lost is, is, you know, has the same or if not better qualities than myself. Um, so there's a lot of amazing humans that we've lost um, that to me, you know, maybe not all preventable, but, you know, in a sense, I would like to say, yeah, they are all preventable. And I just feel like there's just a lack of support there, especially in the hockey community. So let's rally together. Um, this isn't, again, about me. I'm turning everything. I want to turn everything over to somebody else that can really elevate uh, what we're trying to do here because my my knowledge and my skills are limited, but you know, I have that work ethic and I have some life experience uh, and I really want to see this thing happen because if you guys spent a day dealing with my social media, you would have the same drive that I have with the amount of messages that come in from former players, coaches, parents, uh, loved ones of people. And then I get the loved ones of people reaching out to me, telling me how they're, you know, struggling. So, you know what I mean? It's, there's a lot of people that need a lot of support and a lot of different organizations trying to do similar things. So again, I want to work together with everybody. Uh, that's all I'm going to say uh, on the puck support um, network right now. Uh, I'm going to show you guys a couple items that are ready to go out um, early uh, this week, I guess, Tuesday, because I'm going to Oakville tomorrow to get my teeth looked at, uh, which is kind of funny because we're going to hear about how I lost my teeth today. I'm sure um, I wasn't even thinking about that until now. It's kind of a fitting um, episode because I'm going to have, I don't know if I'm getting my teeth tomorrow, but I'm certainly getting like work done all day, like eight hours worth of work so that my teeth can, you know, hold up whatever the hell they're doing in there because I'm not a dentist. And let me, let me tell you, um, I did not take care of my teeth um, at all when I was going through addiction. So uh, I'm looking forward uh, to getting my smile back and, you know, just feeling good again. Uh, and it couldn't have made, could not have been made possible without 
guys like Rob McDougall, especially, and, and Raymond Salinas, and uh, one of Rob's friends who I'm still dying to meet. Uh, and I'm hoping maybe tomorrow is the day. Um, but anyways, uh, before we do get in to episode number 12, you know that this episode is proudly brought to you by Team Issued Limited. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being part of something bigger. A community for all striving towards this same goal. Check it out, guys. Teamissued.ca. Promo code TOEDRAG15 to get 15% off your total purchase. If you've never seen the show um, and you've never seen me on social media, I'm like a walking team issued ad. Usually today's an exception, uh, but that is a former WHL alumni, Jesse Paradise, Kelowna Rockets, Saskatoon Blade, Moose Jaw Warrior. That's his company. Hello to Jesse and everybody at Team Issued out in Winnipeg. Let's support them. And if you want 15% off, you got to use that toe drag. Let me tell you, I used it like 15 times a game. I almost got benched for toe dragging too many times. All right. Lots to talk about. Um, but before we bring in my very special guest, my friend, you guys know how this works if you've seen the show. See you in a few minutes. It's been amazing over the past seven or eight months reconnecting with so many of the amazing people that I knew from before and many who I had never met in the past. It's been fun reconnecting with old friends and teammates, laughing and sharing old stories, but it's also been hard uncovering some of my former teammates passing away, some of my coaches passing away due to things like suicide and addiction. Honestly, it was a struggle for me just to fit in in a lot of the dressing rooms that I was in over the years. I was never really sure of who I was or how much I wanted people to know about me. And I kind of just hid behind all these different masks. I always tried to find the differences between myself and those around me. I've now realized that's just because I felt different. Not really because we were much different at all. Sure, everybody has their differences. Everybody's gone through different things, different traumas, different hardships. Life certainly isn't easy. And when I stopped playing hockey, life got even harder and that seems to be the case and it really seems to be a common theme that guys just have a very hard time finding themselves when they're done playing the game of hockey the game they love the only thing they ever knew it's been a lot of fun reconnecting with some of these guys and sharing these stories i haven't laughed this hard in a long time but after those stories have been told and we get into the real issues that's when things really hit me hard. That's when I really want to step up, continue what I'm doing, and fight for change in the hockey world. One of the beauties that I've reconnected with over the past little while is a guy by the name of Justin Schmidt. I met Schmidty back when I was 17 in Swift Current when I was trying out for the Broncos my rookie season. Schmidty's two years older than me. 
He came to camp at 19 years old, trying to make a Western Hockey League team. He didn't make our team, but he was the last cut, and he was there right up until the season started. Mike Hengen was by far and away my best friend that I probably ever played with in the Western Hockey League. But before Schmidt left, he was there with us every step of the way. The three of us were extremely close. You could find us on one of the service roads, I can't remember which one, out for the $2.90 bacon and egg special at one of those little motels. Or cruising around in his old white Ford Tempo. Schmidt is the type of guy that you just want to be around. The type of guy that will stand up for you, fight for you, on and off the ice. He was really the talk of that training camp, and I believe that's why Dean Chanel kept him around so long. I feel like he just couldn't send him home because he was such a warrior. He just kept battling, kept fighting, kept showing that he wanted it. Schmidt ended up going back to the SJHL to finish out his junior career before turning pro in the Central Hockey League and the Southern Pro Hockey League. Schmidt was one of the few guys that I kind of always kept in contact with. Even through my addiction, over the years, we would sporadically talk and he would refer to me as his little buddy. How's it going, little buddy? Good to see you're doing well, little buddy. Are you hanging in there, little buddy? Justin Schmidt's got a heart, not just the heart of a warrior. He showcased that continually on the ice throughout his junior and pro career, as well as on the canvas when he fights MMA, where he's known as Justin, the animal, Schmidt. Very fitting, let me tell you. And for the past two years, he's been trying his hand at bull riding. That's right, he's hitting the rodeo circuit. I don't think you could get three more violent sports. Hockey, MMA, and bull riding. Justin's also fought his own set of battles. Off the ice, out of the cage, and away from those beasts. He's been open about his struggles with alcohol and addiction. I talked to him often while he was just in rehab a few months back. I did my best to cheer him on. I knew firsthand how hard it would be, but he did it, and I was so proud of him. Going to rehab is a big decision. Getting through it is extremely difficult, and walking out those doors and practicing those principles in all of your affairs, well, that's the real challenge, and that's where the support network comes into play. That's where friends come into play. That's where teammates come into play. I don't even have an excuse for it. I should have been reaching out to him more these past few months, but I've been so busy with everything else that's going on. But all that does is just make me want to work harder and bring more people together so that we can support more people. That's what it's all about. All right, guys, let's bring them in. My friend, Justin, the animal, Schmidt. There he is. Schmidt, what's going on, buddy? Holy fuck, man. That was the best. That's the best introduction I've ever got in my life, man. <laughs> wow. How you been? Oh, man, I'm doing well. I'm doing, I'm, I'm actually fucking awesome, bro. Other than the fact that, uh, 
that I haven't seen my my family in, in a little while because I'm up here in, in Ontario uh, about four hours from them. And then obviously my kids out in BC, I haven't seen them even longer. But aside from that, Schmitty, I'm, I'm fucking, I'm doing very well. How are you doing, my friend? Good, man. I've been, uh, yeah, I've been busy, busy working for, for a buddy of mine, just uh, doing some welding and stuff. I've been fortunate that way because Alberta is completely shut down right now, right? So there's not not much for a guy to do and for for someone like myself i have to stay busy right i gotta stay active where those demons come crawling back pretty fast right so yeah no and uh i hey man i get it and people tell me the same thing they're like hey like you got a lot going on and maybe at times it's too much but i'm the same i'm the same way right and that's something that i never really thought about too much i mean i kind of knew it but i didn't really realize uh, and, and put the two and two together that we were so used to living that fast paced lifestyle. And I'm talking like on and off the ice, you know, things happen so quickly. Our brains are, are firing so quickly all the time, um, always being stimulated. And then you go to things like MMA and bull riding. Um, so I can't imagine, uh, what it's been like for you through this, uh, pandemic having everything shut down being that busy but yeah you like you said you're lucky you're working um how's things going uh as far as the recovery process goes because i know listen i know it can be hard um and i know before we get into it and you can say what you want but uh you know i know that there was a time in my life if i was sitting on somebody's show on the other side and i was just at a rehab and i would be like and he put that in there and be like fuck man like if i had a little slip i wouldn't want anybody to know but at the same time, I think people can understand because there's a lot of people that listen to my show, buddy. Like my best friend growing up just messaged me like he's homeless right now. Like people listen to my show like that are struggling. So I think people, you know, can appreciate the truth. So I'm not putting you on the spot. I have no idea what the answer is, but I just, you know, I'm asking you because, again, I want to be here uh, to support you. And uh, I just want to know how you're doing. Oh, yeah. No, it's been it's tough, man. You know, as well as I know, right, there's uh you know, there's been some slips there for sure in the last few months, but you know, as long as, as long as the keep guy keeps moving forward, right? Like, you know, when I first, when I first, you know, got out, you know, I thought I had the world by the fucking balls, right? And then you start seeing, you start seeing fucking friends of yours that you went through it with, fucking fall back into it, right? And yeah, you know that that it's fucking devastating, right? You're like, holy shit, you know? And then all of a sudden. You know, one day you're like, oh, I can have a fucking quick beer, right? And yeah. I was out of control for a day or two. And then, you know, you just got to, I just, you know, got to get back after it, right? And, you know, sometimes it's two steps forward and one step back, right? Or Yeah. And I hope that, and I appreciate your honesty, Schmitty, like, honestly, man, because I, buddy, I, I struggled for the better part of 12 years, uh, I would get, you know, 11 months clean and, and relapse or six months or six days or sometimes six minutes or six hours. But it, it was extremely difficult. And the same thing, right. Is, is I saw a lot of the same shit and actually a lot of friends dying. And, um, you know, a lot of the things that was going back to my old ways, old patterns, Um, and, Breaking those patterns, I mean, it was extremely difficult for me. I don't know what it's been like for you, but it's, I mean, you make a good point. Like, you, you felt, I want to go back to what you said, that you felt like you had the world by the balls coming out of rehab. So how long did, did you really feel like that for? And when 
because I know that feeling, like that feeling, like I'm never going back. I'm never going back. And then what, if you could look back on it and reflect back on it now, Shmini, like what's that progress look like? What's that transition look like from saying no, 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 to being like, okay with having one beer, like being able to look back and reflect what, what does that look like to you? Well, like, you know, you get out and you're riding that, that fucking high, you know what I mean? That pink cloud of sobriety. And then, you know, you're riding it, you're doing all the right things. And then you slowly start creeping back. And it's been tough with, you know, this COVID bullshit going on because there is so much fucking idle time, right? Yeah. And, it's, you know, just boredom and, and probably fucking loneliness. And, you, yeah. you know, for myself, it was like, oh, you know, I'll have, you know, nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to buy myself. Nobody's going to know. I'll have, you know, sneak in a quick beer here. Yeah. And then, right, comes yeah. crashing down. And, you know, for myself, and, you know, I'm not going to speak for anyone else. For myself, it's just, um, you know, chasing that anxiety, right? The first the first drink is like, the first drink is like, oh, I, you know, I just want to wind down or have some fun. And then you're fucking floor licking drunk. And, you know, you wake up with, like, all these fucking demons coming out of your closet, chasing you around your fucking house. Yeah. And and then, you know, then you got to you gotta just fucking, you know, step step up your game a little bit. And for myself, you know, that's, that's you know, the first drink is, is a choice. And then, you know, after that, it just becomes, you know, survival mode, right? Now, interesting. Do you think that that first drink, that first drink is a choice like can looking back at it do you remember because i've told the story before about i mean listen i've relapsed so many freaking times i've been to rehab six or seven times and jail four times or whatever doesn't matter but a lot and i remember the one time in particular that i came back from texas in the central hockey league and uh i I just, I was at the casino and so I didn't realize at the time that, you know, you go to the casino and the same part of your brain will fire for addiction, right? It, it hits that same part of your brain. So it starts to hit that reward system, whatever. So you, it sparks you back in addiction. Well, next thing you know, I'm across the street from the casino at the gas station in the bathroom, you know, cause I'd called my dealer from the parking lot, met him. And I just remember they're sitting there ready to smoke heroin and you know, being seven months clean after just coming back from, from uh, you know, rehab, walking out of rehab, going to Texas. They did this big story on my comeback, like whatever, all this stuff. And same shit. I was like, man, I could just do this once. No one's going to know. No one's going to know. And like, I remember talking to myself, legit talking to myself, going like, you should just flush this right now. Just flush it. It's only 60 bucks or 100 bucks or whatever. Um, and that'll save you hundreds of thousands in the long run and probably your life. Um, and I was like, nah, I'll just do it this once and that'll be it. Well, see you later. And that was it. That was when I started to get into injection and homelessness and jail and the whole thing. So, um, it just goes to show you how one little choice, uh, can, can spark that addiction and things always seem to get worse. They did for me. Yeah, it never, it, it's not in my experience it's never gotten better and you know and everybody i've met in this journey like nobody goes to nobody goes to rehab because their fucking life is good <laughs> you know what I mean? and i haven't seen anybody come out of real or come out of rehab 
and relapse. And then, you know, the relapse wasn't, was never any better than it was the time that took you in there. You know what I mean? Yeah. In my experience. Right. But you know, I just, for, for myself, it's just a, you know, I got to keep, you know, doing the right thing and, you know, keep doing positive, positive things and staying active and, you know, just staying connected to people in recovery. Right. Well, that's a, that's a bit that's a huge one. And see, this is the thing for me is like when I first went to rehab, I did AANA, all of that. And, but the rehab center was actually a harm reduction. Sorry, the dogs are going crazy upstairs. I think Matt's coming home, but, uh, uh, it's a harm reduction model. So I got to learn the cognitive behavioral therapy model in the treatment center. But then at night we would go out to these 12 step meetings. So I kind of got the best of both worlds. Now I loved the 12 step meetings because the, t- the particular group that I was going to, uh, the couple different groups actually out in Maple Ridge, BC, shout out to the one way club. If anybody's ever listening and you've ever been to the one way club, I don't know if it's there, but I was a, a home group member there with three groups and did service work there i brought in the new year's dance there the whole nines and um you know i just like the people however there were some people that i felt in aa that judged people with drug addictions a little bit differently than themselves and i didn't like that so that actually kind of pushed me right out the doors um of both programs, actually. Um, and so, uh, you know, just for anybody listening, I'm not active in any uh, AA or NA programs. However, they did definitely teach me um, absolutely a lot about myself and a lot about addiction and, and everything. And I think there's a lot of people that have saved their life. So I think it's a great, great place for people to start. Um, but after you've done uh, recovery and addiction for as long as I have, um, I've sort of adapted my own um, recovery model, Schmitty. So like I, you know, I went through, I don't know what your recovery model was where you complete abstinence when you came out, like no smoking weed, no drinking, no this, no that. Yeah. Yeah. When I like, I mean, for myself, it, you know, it starts with, starts with a drink. So, I mean, I don't think I've ever fucking bought cocaine when I was sober. Yeah. But you know, it starts, it starts with a drink. So, you know, if I keep the, keep the alcohol out of my life, the rest of it isn't going to, you know, it hasn't really fallen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, like all I, I, I have to, uh, like with my, my anxiety, the way it is, the only thing I've, I've found that like helps it at all is, um, you know, without taking a fucking handful of Ativan, um, Mm -hmm is uh is you know just smoking a little bit of, of you know high high cbd um cannabis and that that helps me huge i can't like if there's too much thc in it it fucks me up completely and i'm just a fucking paranoid fucking psychopath yeah interesting you say that interesting you say that so like i I went through that phase for a long time where I was, uh, I really enjoyed um, cannabis. Uh, then I went through this phase where I just was, became paranoid and everything else. That was years ago. But now I've, I've really um, kind of changed my mindset around it. So similar to you, I did the abstinence model where I came out of treatment and I was like, okay, yeah, no no drinking, no smoking weed, no drugs. And 
I did it for like 11 months on a couple different occasions. And, uh, you know, now I'm on methadone uh, and I use cannabis. And I also microdose psilocybin, which is something that I don't know if you've ever looked into doing or would ever consider being part of uh, your recovery. And again, I don't want to promote anybody to just say, hey, go out and do this because I do it. That's never what I say. What I say is um, do your education before I made any decisions on on microdosing and, and all of that. I actually took like three months uh, to do my research, um, which is interesting because, you know, I'd never done that before when I'd gone to see a doctor, you know, but the doctor was quick to prescribe me Oxycontin and, and that was like, okay, well, I didn't do my research there and look what happened. I mean, there's other things I can't just blame the doctor, but you know what I mean? So it, I was more scared. It just goes to show you, I was more scared in my brain about what it was going to do to my, to my, you know, my life in general, because it was a, it's, it's mushrooms. It's a psychedelic. It, it, people are freaked out by that kind of stuff. Like, look, it even freaked me out, even though I was so open to doing it. I actually did extensive research. But when I go see the doctor, there's something that just will kill you, Oxycontin. You don't even think twice about it. So, like, was that something that you've heard much about? Is I know you mentioned CBD, but what about psilocybin? Is that something that you've heard about or tried? I've, 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 heard, I've heard lots about it. I've researched a shitload about it, but like I said, the problem with me is I'm all or fuck all. So like, I don't think microdosing really works for me. You know, like I can't even take I can't even take sleeping pills, right? Because I got to take six of them. Because yeah. if one works, six is gonna work. You Schmitty, I was the same way, bud. I swear to God, I was the same way. I, I tell people this when I was on Hastings, man, the, the most seasoned drug addicts used to look at me, the guys that have been down there for 20 years, be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, you know what I mean? Like even the worst of the worst drug addicts would look at me and be like, do you have a death wish? And I'm like, yeah, I do. Like, you know what I mean? I don't care. Like that was my mentality. So like, I understand that. But with me, like, I don't know what it is, but with microdosing, it's like, I don't have any inclination to, to overuse it. And like, there is a time where I want to go do like a hero dose and, and Ryan Phillips and I are going to talk more about this on our show uh, this week, probably tomorrow too. But like, there's times for that. But I swear, like, if you can learn how to do things with intention, and I talked to like Riley Cote and Josh Gratton and these guys and kind of helped me. And like you said, you did the research. But it's interesting, I guess, if you know yourself, but I, again, I used to think that too, Schmitty, about myself. So I think there, I think people can change. Let's get into your, let's get into your hockey career a little bit. Let's, let's get a little less serious for a minute. We can come back to that stuff unless you want to keep going on that. Oh man, you, this is your show, whatever you want. I want to, I want to talk a little bit about junior hockey and, and what your experiences like that were like with, uh, you know, did you have anxiety going to the rink? How was hazing for you uh, at the SJHL? Because, you know, we hear about it at the major junior levels. Uh, I haven't spoken to, I mean, I played in uh, the BC Hockey League. So, you know, I, I know how it is, but I haven't actually talked to anybody uh, formally on the podcast about their experience in uh, junior A uh, hockey, but it's much the same. So I would love to hear uh, your experiences right from, uh, you know, your time as a rookie uh, to the time you graduated junior, as as far as your mentality goes, as far as your confidence goes, all that, Smitty, I want to hear it all. Um, Yeah, I like, you know, I look back at the happiest times of my life and, you know, like 
junior hockey was awesome for me. And, you know, like I wasn't, well, you know, I, we played, we played together for three months. Um, but, you know, like I, I didn't have, I didn't have a high skill level, but I loved the game so much. I lived to play the game. Right. I loved it. And, you know, I wasn't overly tough even, but, you know, I always, you know, if I knew that if I, you know, were to stay in the lineup, um, you know, I had to do, I had to do, you know, those little things, you know, I had a high compete level my whole career, you know, whether it was fighting, blocking shots, playing hurt. And, you know, you hear, you hear, you know, you hear guys talk about how tough it was, you know, playing hurt and being expected to, but I thrived on that. I love to, I love to, you know, to be completely running on tape and painkillers. Um, you know, when I was a kid and it probably, you know, it has had some definitely some lasting effects on me, but you know, all we can do. And I mean, the game's changed a lot, but for myself, you know, we, if I knew then what I know now, um, I would have died. Wouldn't have changed a fucking thing about it. You know, I loved, I loved the game. I loved everything about it. Um, I wouldn't change a thing, but I mean, there are guys like, you know, I don't know. I don't know about yourself. Like, I mean, you've had, you know, you know, you've had injury issues and issues with addiction, whatever. Um, but you know, I wouldn't have changed anything, but I mean, we weren't, we weren't educated back then on it. Right. We, and I don't think people knew, you know, every, every month, you know, you see an old former teammate teammate that's fucking blowing their head off or fucking dying on, dying on the street, you know, and it's, you know, it is tough to, to see, but because we weren't, we weren't educated on it, on any of it, you know, it was like, go out, play hurt. You know, you get, you get, I remember getting knocked out cold and getting back to the bench and then being like, oh, you get your bell rung? Mm-hmm. You know, now you'd be done for a fuck, for the fucking season. Yeah. Oh, I have changed it. Fuck no. I would, uh, I would have done it all the same. I probably, I mean, I probably wouldn't have, uh, you know, there's a lot of things like I probably wouldn't have taken my first line of cocaine when I was 17 years old. That probably, you know, there's things like that I would change, but about the way I played and how I played the game and the choices I made, the choices I made at the rink, I wouldn't change a fucking thing. I would have made a shitload of choice changes. Um, yeah. To the yeah. off ice shit. Yeah. Sure. Right. But the, but how I played the game and the way I played the game and the way I treated my teammates. Yeah. You know? yeah. And, you know, like, even, you know, you know Schmitty, did you, did you experience uh, any like hazing in the form of being bullied or, or feel like maybe um, like scared at all when you were a rookie to go to the rink? Did you have guys kind of pick on you or did you ever feel singled out or did you see any of it? And also, Schmitty, did you um, ever take part in hazing any of the rookies? Because, I mean, I wasn't terrible, but I definitely, you know, I remember putting hot sauce in some of these guys, like 151 shots and stuff. And it wasn't just like hot, hot. It was like hot, hot sauce. Like burn your, you take a little drug. It was like right off the internet, like the hottest hot sauce. My billets actually bought it for me as a joke because I used to eat so much Franks. But this shit was like no joke. And I remember Matt Tassoni and Phil Gervais and uh, I think Cody Eakin even was there. Um, man, it was bad. Like, it wasn't just me going, hey, hey, drink. There was like a bunch of people. But still, it, I'm just wondering, did you go through it as a rookie and did you enforce any hazing? And this isn't to, to no. fingers. It's just the way that culture was, right? Uh, yeah, like, I mean, when I, was, when I was a rookie, I was fortunate that 
everybody was kind of shit scared of me because they didn't, <laughs> they didn't know what the fuck I knew. Never that. <laughs> I never thought of that. <laughs> like, so I was, I was, I was lucky that guys were, you know, they're like, holy fuck, we don't, we don't know what this guy's you did. Not, yeah. because, not because I was fucking huge or because I was even that tough. I was just that fucking stupid. Yeah, just they showed you just showed them that you just or whatever, you're not gonna take anybody's shit on the ice, certainly not their shit. So they almost want to be buddies with you more or less, right? Yeah. And you know, because you know, right from you know, right from the first first day of junior, um, I was fighting fucking everybody and I was sticking up for you know, seventeen years old and I'm fucking sticking up for a twenty year old bonus baby. That so everybody kind of had that they kept me at a distance in the sense that you know I was doing my part you know to protect these guys on the ice so I think a lot of the older guys always kind of welcomed me into that circle you know be just because they wanted they for one they didn't have a fucking clue what I was gonna do and and two they you know they they knew that they needed you know they needed me on their side on the ice right um, as far as you know as far as as far as you know, mistreating rookies and junior, I was never a big part of that. Just because, you know, I knew my my job was to protect my teammates. One hundred percent. My role on the ice, off the ice, was to was to look after my teammates, whether it was a fucking sixteen year old kid or a fucking twenty year old showing up at the rink in his brand new Denali because he just got an eight hundred thousand dollars signing bonus, right? So. That was, you know, that was how how I approached the game. I never personally, Brady, and I, you know, I'm not going to lie about it. I never saw much, like, hazing and that bullshit yeah. happen. Um, Sorry, what about you never saw guys get stuffed in the in the back of the bathroom all naked with their ties closed? Like, uh, oh, yeah. Like, that, that was- that, I mean, that's that stuff happened. But. Not normal, eh? Like, that's not normal for six dudes to be naked in the bathroom. Like, when you think about it, maybe some guys don't care and it's funny. But there's, like, other guys that, you know, have gone through traumatic things with men. Like, that was hard for me, right? Like, and being stuffed in there, like, you know what I mean? So you're like, you didn't even think about it because that's how normal it was for us to have to deal with that shit. That shit was that shit was normal. I don't, but you know, you you read about all this extreme. Yeah, shit. yeah, I know what you're saying. None of that stuff happened, right? Like, yeah. I remember fun, a funny story. Um, see now, now take it how you want, right? My my rookie year, um, in the Southern League, I was 20, and there was there was there was two other rookies or three other rookies on our team, and it was. It was like our rookie party, right? And um, we we had like we had like all the guys on the team or all the single guys had like lived in like condos, right? You know how it is in the minors. Yeah. And like, there's a guy, there's a guy's condo on the top, like the upstairs level, and there's a guy's condo on the downstairs level. And uh, all us rookies, it was like ten in the morning, and they pile us out of our, our apartments and they take us up to this upstairs condo and lock us in a, like a walk-in closet all day and feed us booze and like just do a dumb shit. And it was, you know, it was all in good fun. Right. Like I didn't, I, I don't know. I and like maybe some guys do have like 
you know, did, did have PTSD from this, but they locked us in this closet and fed us booze all day, like all day. And so they, they, the, one of the older guys said, okay, if you guys could sing a karaoke song, yeah, um, what would it be? And it's like, well, fuck, I picked some stupid fucking song, right? And yeah, this is like four in the afternoon and just like I probably puked in the fucking guy's closet and pissed all over his clothes, like just a fucking disaster. And I come out and they take your clothes off of me and they blind blindfold me. So I'm blindfolded and naked and I walk down to the downstairs level of the apartment, right? And somebody throws a bucket of fucking cold ice water on me. So like my pecker's like that big, right? Oh my god. <laughs> And I walk in, walk into this apartment. They have me a fucking uh, a microphone, and they're like, "Okay, hey, sing your song." I can't remember the song, right? And I'm doing the fucking dance moves and singing. Who's I, in there? Who's in there? Well, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking it's just like all the guys on our team, right? Like they're cheering me on. It was fun. Like for me, that what you know, I did, I did. It didn't dramatically affect my life. So the song's over. They take my blindfold off, and there's fucking guys wives in there and their girlfriends and <laughs> oh my god yeah right eh so i mean you know i get where you're saying that that can but like it was all that shit was all in good fun i thought you know yeah well and that's the thing right it's like that's sort of like from anybody like the outside culture looking in that's kind of fucked up but like i think we we're so normalized to that and and i don't know i i don't know i'm not saying that it's right um but yeah like you know you're saying it's all in good fun but again you know some guys handle it differently and i think i think too right like you know we hear about all the horrible stories of the coaches being involved in things and luckily like you said you didn't experience anything like that either did i but you know i definitely know uh quite a few guys that have and not just you know from one league um and you know obviously we know about graham james but i'm talking about guys that you know haven't really come out um publicly with other allegations because they're just not ready and it's it, so it's certainly there and and uh i'm hoping that the more we talk about it, and i think that hockey canada and and these leagues around you know north america and europe or especially north america and canada um they've done a good job in sort of reeling it in i know that they really started to take initiative when i was you know just breaking into the western league there um but you know, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure for to perform at that young age and, and going to the rink and having to deal with um, the bullshit. Um, you know, it's already hard enough. So I think it's, you know what I mean? There's a lot of things that get overlooked uh, when, when a kid's got to move away to play uh, junior hockey. And then even, um, you know, you said 20, you're just a kid. You got to go move um, down and play pro and kind of figure it out and, and just sort of surviving, right? Just trying to make it and fake it until you make it. At least that's the way it was for me. How was it for you, Schmidt? Um, you know, it was good. Like, you know, I, you know, I always, you know, I was a fucking full blown alcoholic by the time I was 15 years old. And you know, I got, I really have no excuses. You know, like a lot of people have had traumatic upbringings and stuff. And I mean, I was probably, genetically predisposed to alcoholism but um you know and then i you know in junior i kind of dabbled you know dabbled in the drugs a little bit 
you know, I wasn't, you know, it wasn't too serious. Um, and, you know, and then I went down to the minors and, you know, the, the, it was, a, you know, how it was down there, you know, back then. I don't know how it is now, but I mean, you know, it was just, it was a huge drug culture, right? For like my, the first time I ever did heroin, I was 20 years old and uh, my, at my first pro camp, the night, night before my very first fucking professional tryout, just finished, you know, fitness testing and shit. And same thing. I was, you know, everybody kind of didn't really know what, you know, what type of guy was there kind of fucking freaked out by me. So all the old, you know, the older guys on the team, we were all out at the bar and we were drinking. And then they're like, fuck, Schmitty, see, you know, see if you can find, you know, everybody, let's find a little bit of fucking cocaine, right? Let's find a little bit of powder. So me being, you know, I knew, I knew exactly how to find, right? Find the fucking, you find the two sketchiest looking people in the bar and you fucking start a conversation and see where that leads, right? That's just the way it goes. So, so I was in, I was in Elmira, New York and um in the old united league like that league was fucking crazy tough back then too right oh yeah so i go i see these two kind of sketchy looking girls in the bar and i'm like hey girls you know i'm ch- chatting them up and stuff and i'm like do you know um do you know where i can find some coke and they're like oh yeah yeah like you know come us we go to this fucking dude's apartment and you know i get you know a few grams and i go back to the bar and we're like, you know, we get, we end up back at, at somebody's place and we, we line it up and these guys are like, fuck man, that, that cocaine's really fucking brown. <laughs> that's, that's like brown coke. And I'm like, oh, fuck, it must, must be good then. And fucking, they're like, I'm not touching that shit, man. I'm like, well, more for me, right? That's fucking addicts mentality. And yeah. Minutes later, I'm fucking drooling on myself and fucking. Wow puking on myself and fucking, yeah. you know yeah and yeah so then noon the next day i gotta be on the ice you know my first fucking professional tryout and i'm just fucking itching and sick and fought i think i fought four times that day holy fuck See that's like, that's like the story about when I was uh, with Mitch Fadden the night before playing with Stamkos with the Lightning. We're out doing coke the night before. It's just like why do we try to sabotage ourselves right before uh, so like one of our, our most important moments or one of our biggest moments? It's insane. Is that is that something like that you did like quite often? Is that something that you know? What about into your fighting career? Like how how has that gone? Is that something that you were taking seriously? Is that sort of put on the back burner? How focused are you on bull riding? Where's your focus at going forward? I know things are fucked up with COVID, but what's yeah, like right now, like you know, fighting bulls is fighting bulls is you know that's my you know focus here for you know as far as you know athletically right now. Um, you know, with COVID, it's kind of been fucked up, but I've been fortunate I've had, you know, I've been fortunate that, you know, I have been able to stay pretty busy. And I mean, I'm, 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 I'm definitely, you know, old to be, you know, start getting going as a bullfighter, but I've been fortunate that, you know, I have been hired to work some shows and stuff and, you know, stepping in front of a bull, it's, yeah, I, I don't know if there's a, if there's a way you could do it fucked up, um, like I just don't think it would be possible. I think you have to have your your wits about you completely to be able to do it. You know what I mean? I I, I think and like I often said to people like, how do you recreate 
you know, the, the adrenaline from playing hockey and fighting in front of thousands of people. And, and honestly, and I never said this on, um, on a podcast before, but you know, I did a lot of uh, horrible things like horrible crimes, robberies and, and different things when I was in my addiction, like unfathomable things that, you know, I could have never pictured myself doing and still can't believe it was me. Um, but that adrenaline rush, um, from doing something like that, that was the closest thing to that adrenaline dump that I would get from playing hockey. So how have you recreated that? Um, that that must be pretty close, if not even more. Yeah, it's. I mean, the, the thing that excites me, the thing that I've always, um, the thing that's always driven me, like obviously adrenaline, but being able to stay calm and controlled in that fucking hurricane right like you know on the ice you can't just be running on adrenaline all the time because you know you have to be you have to have your your head about you in a cage fight you know yeah there's adrenaline there's more like you know it's a huge adrenaline fucking rush but you still have to maintain you know mental and emotional control and i mean you know fighting bulls if you're it's 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 the three the three are so closely related and i mean the same with fucking committing crimes, right? You, yeah, it's a fucking rush and adrenaline, but you know you have to you have to stay you have to keep your mind your wits about you when you're in those situations, right? And I mean, so it's not like skydiving because fucking skydiving you just jump out of a fucking airplane and fucking away you go, right? Um, so for me, you know, it's it's being able to maintain, uh, you know, a certain level of of um, calmness in that uh, you know that uncontrollable situation right so i know exactly what you're saying right like it's not it's not just throwing yourself at the fucking mercy of a bull you yeah. gotta have to be able to you know maintain a, a a level of emotional and mental control in that situation where the hell did you get the idea to do this for like when is this something you've always wanted to do or did you just wake up one day and be like hey i'm a nut bar i'm a certified nut bar uh let's take this thing to the next level no no like i I had to make a choice when I was a kid, you know, to, to whether I wanted to play hockey or, or a rodeo. Right. You know, and I, I didn't grow up in a huge rodeo family. Like my, my mom bail raced and, you know, my grandpa was an old bull rider back in the day, but, you know, I grew up, you know, in a ranching family and, you know, so I was around cattle and I was around livestock my whole life. Yeah. I don't know why that just came onto the screen. He's cool though. He is cool. Um, and then, you know, so when, you know, I rode bulls for, I rode bulls for a bit, you know, like, you know, in junior in the summertime, I'd ride bulls and I was, wasn't very fucking good at it. Right. You gotta be little to be a bull rider. I was too fucking big. Um, and my best, my wait, best. Wait, you're not riding bulls. You're fighting oh, bulls. Fighting yeah, yeah. Holy shit. You're even crazier. eh? Oh, I don't know about that. I just, well, is what's crazier? What's looked upon as is more dangerous? Is riding bulls or fighting? I feel like you're fighting bulls. Your job is to protect the cowboys, right? Yeah. Job. You got to step in and protect them. Um, I think tying your hand to one is pretty fucking crazy. Yeah, that's pretty nuts, I guess. But, but I'm. Mean, it's a. That's a big. That's a big thing, eh? Like, so you're in there, and you know you. It's 
you're essentially protecting your teammate, right? It's not your teammate, but it's your teammate, right? That's pretty cool. I see. I thought you were riding the bus. That's awesome, man. So you're in there fucking grinding, like just grinding it out, helping guys, like, and not just like, okay, you're in there once or twice to ride. Like, are you in there for every single freaking bull? Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, sometimes I'll be fighting bulls from 10 in the morning till five o'clock at night. Right. Depending on how many guys are, um, depending on how many guys are, 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 are riding that day. Right. Or, you know, like at, if you go to like a, if you're fighting bulls at a bull riding school, which for, you know, anybody, any young bullfighter starting out, um, the best advice, you know, I'm not, I can't give much advice, but the best advice I can get, you know, once this COVID bullshit ends or if it ever fucking ends, hmm. find a good school with a good, you know, a guy with, you know, because especially in the states, right? I think there's, I think there's a lot of fucking shysters in the states. Okay. But, but you know, find, up here in Canada, you know, it's a pretty small circle, and just find a good school and go there because you'll see, you might see 500 bulls in a weekend, right? And that's the yeah. only way to get better. Is just for me has been just to see see animals, right? But I've been lucky. I've been really fortunate that you know my my best friend in the world is is you know arguably one of the best best bullfighters in canada you know he's been to the pbr finals he's been to the cfr um and you know and he's had you know tons of struggles you know he's been pretty open about his struggles with with addiction um so you know we're in the same boat that way and he's been able to help me along very well you know so i wasn't going in just fucking blind right so he's helped a lot so i've been fortunate very fortunate that i've been able to you know, even though my career has been pretty short and just starting out, I've been able to work with the best guys in the fucking world, essentially. And, you know, so I've been lucky, right? Like I've had to step my game up because if I don't, they're going to be like, get the fuck out of here. You know what I mean? Like, and you're not, it's real. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're stepping in front of a, a 2000 pound animal with fucking baseball bats growing up in your fucking head. Right. So yeah, it, you gotta you, you you gotta have your fucking shit together, right? When I was when I was fighting Brady, like I look back on it, you know, like I'm gonna I'm gonna get back in there, you know. I've taken the last two years off just trying to, you know, basically trying to get my head right. Um, you know, there were there were times when I look back at my career when I was in the cage and in the ring, um there were times that I was, you know, focused and sober and you look at my record, you know, it's like, holy shit, there's a fucking three fight win streak there. And then yeah. there's a seven fight losing streak. So, I mean, you can, you can kind of, you can look at my fighting record and kind of tell where, where I was at in my, um, in my life at that time. Right. Well, and that's another thing, right? Like if you're, you're in addiction and you know, you're getting into the, the octagon there on the canvas with somebody like you, it's dangerous like you're putting your your life on the line and people you know don't really understand like it, it's maybe not super dangerous where you're putting your life on the line every time but there's always that small chance um and you know we saw that with my friend adam braidwood uh, i hate to bring it up because because adam you know he's addressed it and wants to put it behind him but with you know with tim Hague there it just it's so tragic and you know that's another guy adam you know who's gone through his his battles and, and was on the right 
the right path and, and doing everything the right way and then has that happen and and you know unfortunately it's just such a tragic loss but when you put yourself in that position schmitty like if you're not ready and prepared it can be really dangerous. Like if you're part, like if you're really not training and you're partying, like you said, you looked at your record and you look at where your life was at. Like, you know, you, maybe you're lucky that you didn't get more hurt because usually the other guy on the other side is probably taking it, you know, fairly, fairly serious. If not, like that's what he's eating, living, sleeping, everything. Right. So if it's you're putting your head out there for someone to punch off. Basically I was, you know, like I was just, Fuck it, it, you know, it was it was a nightmare. You know, well, you know what it's like living in that fucking whirlwind. And then, you know, on top of the anxiety I have from the fact that I'm a fucking full-blown fucking alcoholic and cocaine addict, then you fucking throw in the fact that I got to step in there with a fucking animal locked in a cage. And, you know, the only way out of there is fucking to basically knock the other guy out cold, right? So all these things just snowball, right? Like the whole whole fucking uh, hamster wheel of self-medication, right? And I would just, I would throw one more fucking little grenade into that equation. You know, it was the fact that I was, was was trying to be a fucking professional cage fighter at the same time. Well, and that's, you know, and, and are like this whole time, Schmitty, like, were you, you know, was it under wraps? Like people knew that you were struggling. Um, could people tell, but you weren't being honest with them or was it, was it kind of open and you just weren't, you were just continually trying to push through it until finally you're like, Hey, I got to go to rehab. I don't like, I don't know Brady. Right. Like I, I thought I was maintaining this fucking, Thanks, Matt. I thought I was maintaining this fucking cool facade, right. Where I was, you know, this fucking professional athlete you know, because I was always, I was always, one thing I always will pride myself in was I, I was always in the best shape, right? Like, no matter what fight I was ever in, I was always the most fit guy in that, you know, in that fight. But, but fighting's, you know, 20% physical and 80% mental, right? So, yeah. so I had that 20% going for me, but the mental side of it, I mean, drugs and alcohol work on your brain. That's mm-hmm. it. You know, I mean, eventually you're physically going to deteriorate, but yeah, but yeah. I mean, the, mental side of it, the mental side of it, I was a fucking midget. You know, I was a, I was, a, I was functioning emotionally on probably the, you know, the level of a fucking five-year-old. So yeah. trying to control those emotions while training and competing, I, like, I don't know. I don't know how well of a fucking facade I, I kept up. Right. But you know, I, I definitely tried to pull the wool over everyone's eyes for twenty years. And what about what about now? If if things start to really go up the rails for you, what are you are you are you at the point now? Because I'll be honest, before you answer this, it took me such a long time to get to where I'm at, man. Like I like fuck, man. I was I just couldn't shake it. I couldn't shake. Uh, I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't stop. Uh, but then I kept trying and then I didn't want to keep letting people down. So then I would keep lying. Um, and then it would just make me feel more guilty and it would just, things would just get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, so my question for you, Schmidt is, you know, where are you at now with, you know, where are you at? Like, are you ready to, 
to like if things to start slip again to because this is the saying that was told to me um if you fall off the wagon it doesn't mean you have to fucking fall in the ditches too you just get up and fucking get back on that wagon right you don't have to fall in the ditches and fucking stay off the wagon because that's what i used to do i would fucking relapse and try to cover up try to, and then it would just be like fucking way worse than it ever had to have been if i would have just been like hey I fucked up. I fucked up, addressed it for myself, put myself out there, and then I could have just restarted the process again. So where are you at, Schmitty, with that, you think? Um, you know, like for me, I'm fortunate that I do have I got a pretty tight circle, right? Like my you know, my little brother, my mother, my girlfriend. You know, so if they you know, if they do see me fucking start slipping, they'll you know, they'll bring me back. But I mean that only lasts so long. Um you know, I've stayed pretty, I've stayed definitely in close contact with, you know, with people in recovery since I, since I got out. Right. Um, so, I mean, like I said, it's, I've been, I've been, you know, lucky that I haven't completely fucking burned my life to the ground again, because I keep getting back, keep getting back on the fucking wagon. Right. You know, so, I mean, it's just, you know, it is, it's, you know, you're only, a, you're, you know, you're only a sober you know, you only the only sobriety you have is is you know that I heard a guy a long time ago. Like I've been, I've been in in and out of those fucking AA rooms since I was seventeen years old. Yeah, that's how long I've been trying to fucking battle this. Longer fucking, than I have. Longer than I have. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I mean, I, I've I've seen a lot, you know. So I mean, you're only a sober, you know. The guy with the most sobriety is the guy that got up the earliest that day. You know what I mean? That's what I said. I've never heard that one before. I can't believe I've never heard that. That's awesome. I like that one. You know, that was, that was, it was said to me. And cause you, you, you know, when I go into some of those rooms, you see people with fucking 20 years of sobriety and they're fucking idiots. Yeah. You know, it's like shut, like sometimes, and yeah. like these guys, these people have 20 years of sobriety and it's like shut the fuck up. They're just dry drunks. Like they don't haven't done any work on themselves, but they're just hanging on by a thread because they're not drinking and and yeah, they're judgmental. They want to tell people how to fucking live their life, and that for me that rubs me the wrong way. But you know, there's so many cool people in the program. Like yeah. you know, yeah. like, like my my roommate when I went to rehab is like. You know, he's one of the fucking best guys that you'll ever meet, you know, and all he wants to do is help people, but he doesn't fucking preach and he doesn't judge, you know, and he just, he helps people. That's it. He'll help people and, you know, but he doesn't tell people what they have to do, you know, and I'm, I'm like, I, I appreciate that, right? Because everybody's journey is different. All you can do is is share your story and where you're at. Yeah. And if somebody can relate to that, um, you know, tell them how, or, you know, explain to them, you know, your situation, how, because for me, if somebody tells me how I'm going to do something, I'm going to tell them to go fuck themselves. Yeah. You know, and then I go fucking probably burn it to the ground my own fucking way. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. I'm the same freaking way, man. Like it's, but, or I have been the same way, but for some reason, something has happened, Schmitty, too, like where I'm just not nearly as emotional. Like, I'm more emotional. Like, I'll cry for no reason, but I'm not as emotionally charged. Like, my decision making isn't based on emotions. 
Uh, you want to talk about my teeth? Is that why you're smiling at me? Oh, just, I, was just, I was just kidding. You weren't actually. Um, before we go, no. Before we go, um, I do want to hear. What do you remember about me losing my teeth? Because this is interesting. Because I've never actually asked anybody that was there. And before you answer, Schmitty. So I've reached out to the dub. And they tell me there's no record of it ever happening and this and that and blah, blah, blah. But they want me to send them a quote. But anyway, I'll, I'll, I can you can I mean, I'll, I'll sign off as a witness. Cause <laughs> tell us what happened. How did I lose? What happened there? What do you remember about it? It was a long time ago, but still it was in uh, it was in Medicine Hat. That's right. It sure was. We were we were playing for Swift and it was in Medicine Hat and I. I got my teeth knocked out earlier in the game. That's right. I pinched in. I I pinched in the blue line, and Darren Helm was yeah coming up towards me, and like I so I he was the winger coming up the wall, and a puck was chipped around on my side, and I rushed in to like I pinched in to you know either take the man or the puck away, and I got cross checked in the mall. So my fucking I'm picking my teeth up off the ice. Yeah, I remember that now. And then, and then I so I went into we had to go into Medicine Hats training room to get to get fixed up, right? So because yeah. we, we didn't pack, we would take we took like a we took our our equipment manager on the road. Like back in them days, you didn't travel with fucking four doctors, a psychiatrist. And no, but they were supposed to have a fucking dentist there, and they didn't. Like it was he was there, but he left early. Maybe you right. got. I didn't. I didn't get to see that cocksucker. Excuse me, I shouldn't have said that word. That's a terrible word, but I was so mad at him that day. (laughs) So he obviously he was he fixed so he fixed my teeth or sewed my mouth up and took the fucking bone fragments out of the top of my jaw. And then I I got back to the bench and you were sitting you were sitting on the bench next to me. And you turned and looked, and you had a mouth guard in, and you pulled your mouth guard out, and your fucking whole front row came with it, and like, like you lost four, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, you but I remember three of them. I think were in my mouth guard, and one was still in the corner or something. Yeah, and you looked at me, and like I didn't, you didn't even miss a, sh- you didn't even miss a fucking stride though. Like you got, you got, you got a high stick in the mouth. Yeah, I got four teeth knocked out, and I played another, like, two, three shifts until the end of the game. There was, like, a few minutes left. Then I went over to see the dentist, but I'm not going to call him that word again. I shouldn't have said that, but he was not there. He decided to leave early, Uh, and they could have fixed my teeth, and unfortunately, they couldn't. But tomorrow, um, I'm going to be going down to Oakville to see Rob McDougall and uh, which is always fun. He's such a great guy. So, um, Schmitty, listen, we're going to wrap this up because I actually got to catch a train. I'm actually going tonight, but I'd love to have you on again, man, like yeah. down the road and keep us posted with what's up. And honestly, man, we got to stay more in more in touch. And that's that's partially my fault, man. I'm just, you know, we got to be connected. Um, Tanner, Tanner Wilshaw says, yeah, Justin is the shit. Great guy. You know, Tanner Wilshaw. He, I've, I've, I've been on his show quite a few times, actually. Like in the fight game, I love, I love Tanner. He's oh man, he yeah, I know he does. He's the man. I've been on his show too, and uh, he's actually helped me out a lot with 
with, uh, you know, recovery based things like CBD and uh, getting me on that regimen, which I no longer have, but I'm getting back on it soon here in the new year. But I mean, he got me uh, like, man, I was feeling so good there for a while. Um, so anybody listening, check out Sovereign Extracts. If you want to get some CBD and all that pro- those products, that's uh, what he sent me. And I swear to God, it was like life-changing CBD. If you don't use cannabis products, like for THC properties where you don't want to get try honestly, just try CBD. Just drop the stigma of, hey, it's the devil's lettuce, all this shit. Honestly, even if you're not somebody that, you know, has ever even smoked pot before you got arthritis you got inflammation seriously try cbd um that would be my my advice just is there anything else you want to say before we go no that's it little buddy i was i it was awesome having you there it is uh being on the show man i miss you and uh and congratulations on on everything that's going on in your life yeah man and and listen i'm here for you and yeah like it's tough just keep up the grind keep going man you're a fucking warrior you're a fighter so i know you're gonna get through this bro like i know it and if i swear to god you i'm gonna if you don't have my new number i'll give you my number um you fuck you call me anytime man and i got there's other people that maybe i know you got support networks too but maybe sometimes uh it's nice to reach out to your support networks because i know that within my closest networks from before once i started i I even started to lie to them because i was like fuck i don't want to let them down so you know there's a couple people that i could introduce you to that you know totally confidential and nothing to do with me um and and they're great resources that's totally up to you i'll leave it with you but hey man thanks for doing this Okay, buddy, we'll take care of yourself, and uh, I'll talk to you soon, okay? You too, buddy. We'll talk soon. Cut him off early before he said later. Sorry, Smitty. All right, guys, that's Justin Schmidt. Thank you so much, Smitty. What a great guy he is. Seriously, fucking enjoyed. I love playing with him uh, in Swift. He was there for, like you said, like two and a half, three months, right up until uh, the season. I think he was even there once the season started uh, for a game or two. I didn't uh, ask him that, but... Uh, he went on and, and just tore up the SJ, just banged it out with everybody. And then almost had 300 pin, pims a couple years. Uh, we could talk about that next time he comes on. But thank you, guys. All my misfits out there, all my addicts out there in recovery or not. Thanks for watching. If you know somebody that's struggling, hang in there with them. Hang in there. I know it can be hard. I know it can be hard, um, but with the right supports, um, there's always hope. And if you are the one that's struggling, I want to remind you that the onus is ultimately on you. And when we come out of recovery in early stages of recovery, at least for me, I wanted there to be like a, like a celebration, like where people were like, hey, Brady's clean. And, and you know, he's forgiven and all the shit he's done is forgotten and that's not how it works that's not how it works so if you're on the right track keep going great things will happen maybe not today maybe not tomorrow but i'll tell you when they won't happen they will never happen unless you keep going and doing the right thing that is a guarantee it's not easy It's not easy. 
Addiction is a serious, serious thing. It's not a fucking game. There was a lot of F-bombs. I even said a word that I never use. I don't know why. I apologize for that, but hey, I've done worse things than that. That's for sure. And uh, if you really want to get down to it, uh, the word I use, I, you know, it's pretty derogatory, but like when I think of that word, I think of myself because that's what happened to me when I was abused. So it's just like, I don't know. Anyways, um, thank you so much for watching live. Please head over to YouTube if you're on Facebook. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, if you're or sorry, if you're listing audio non-live, please subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, the ratings mean the world to me and the show. You can catch us hopefully tomorrow if it if it all works out. Ryan Phillips and I uh, will be doing our thing Monday to Friday all over the map. Hockey to hell and back. We'll be doing it most days, 12 p.m. Eastern. Uh, a couple days this week might be a little different. But going forward, that will be the schedule. So we have a few guests lined up. Uh, we're going to be talking uh, some about hockey, but more about real life and uh, mental health. And that's going to be under the Puck Support Podcast Network, I believe. Uh, it's not official, but that look for that in the coming uh, new year. If you have a podcast and you want to be part of the Puck Support Podcast Network in the new year, reach out to us, team at pucksupport.com. We're putting together a network of shows. Um where hopefully one day we could all be compensated for it. Um, so let's build a team of podcasts, a network uh, where people can hear positive and enlightening stories. And sometimes it can be therapeutic for everybody and, and it can save lives. So it's never a competition to me. I want everybody to have a voice and everybody to have the exact same opportunities. So once again, thank you so much to my friend, Justin Schmidt. Keep up the good fight, man. I know you can do it. This is the toughest opponent you have and will ever face is your mental health and addiction. But I know you can end it with a knockout. Before we go though, here, I always say that before we go, Mental health over hockey. This is just one of the hoodies we have available. Coach Warren Nye, good news. Your hoodie has been made. I'm going to post pictures of it here shortly. Check it out, guys. You can go to www.pucksupport.com slash shop to get your own very own piece of puck support swag maybe a long sleeve a hoodie a snapback which one's your favorite we also have a, the navy i think is sold out we have one one navy the special edition navy Derek bugard limited edition snapback one in stock you could snap it up right now what do you like the, the white trucker matthew lazinski memorial snapback Or the Mitch Fadden Maroon. 
You can get your very own. I get em- <laughs> I get emotional just seeing it like. Still can't believe Mitch is gone and, and I didn't know Matthew Lazinski, but I know he was close to Matt, Matt Thompson's heart and uh, it's a real privilege and an honor to be able to remember them and all of our brothers and sisters we've lost to mental health and addiction. All of our articles will have a memory of one of them. You can get your very own today at pucksupport.com, guys. If you're struggling, please reach out. Sandra at PuckSupport.com. She is our executive director of mental health and addiction. We want you to get involved too. We need help. We need to revamp the website, uh, video creation, uh, photo design, all that stuff. If you do any of that, reach out to us, team at PuckSupport.com. I'd love for people to get involved. Stay tuned for lots in the new year. Take care of each other, guys. Hello to Brooklyn and Brody out on the West Coast. I love you guys lots. Brody, I'm not sure if you got that picture from Rob McDougall and myself. Yeah, to Bo Horvat. Signed by Bo Horvat, but I hope you did. In Brooklyn, I have something coming for you. It's just taking a little bit more time because hockey season is just getting started. So I haven't been able to access my certain connection to get you something very, very special. So it's coming Hello to Taylor, Hadley, Lincoln, and Veda. I miss you guys. I'm going to be home soon for Christmas. I can't wait to snuggle with all you guys. They got to see Santa today. Santa called them on the phone today. I love you guys. I miss you guys dearly. To all my family on the West Coast, I love you lots. Love you lots. Hello to Ryan out in Japan. We got listenership out in Japan. My cousin Ryan, one of my avid listeners. Thank you, cuz. Um, I can still picture you watching me play at the Pacific Coliseum when I was playing for the Kelowna and Swift Current. So pretty cool that you're bringing the show and the Puck Sport Network over to Japan. So thank you, Ryan. Hello to Barbara and Rich and Christy as well. All the Cheriks, you know who you are. My Auntie Lee, Uncle Laura, all the Chris Chucks, all you guys, I love you. Mom, Dad, you guys are the best. Thank you for never giving up on me. And if you feel like giving up, never, ever give up. And never give up on your loved ones. And remember, guys, have a great day. If you so choose.